Hello and welcome. If you're interested in learning more about how to meet the effective communication needs of people who are deaf or hard of hearing, you are going to like this episode with Chris Littlewood. He is an instructor and technology coordinator for St. Petersburg College Center for Public Health, Safety and Innovation. So Chris himself is hard of hearing. He has had this progressive disability his entire life. And for nearly 20 years, he has been working in the area of public health, safety, emergency management, disaster preparedness, law enforcement, victims advocacy. He has so much information, wealth of wisdom to share with people about how to meet access and functional needs of people with disabilities, but in particular, people who are deaf, hard of hearing. This population is very important for us to reach on for so many reasons. I, and I, I gotta tell you, the, the most amount of conversations that I've been a part of in terms of meeting the access and functional needs with people with disabilities, this tends to be one of the most common areas that we're talking about. And for me, I believe more people who are deaf and hard of hearing should be a part of these conversations. People like Chris and others certainly are. And I think it's very important as people who are charged with doing emergency management, first responders, uh, healthcare providers, if they're community-based organizations like us, Centers for Independent Living, uh, private entities, making sure that we on the front end have the policies and procedures in place so that when we encounter and interact and communicate with people who are deaf or hard of hearing, that we're doing it in the most effective way possible. And that takes a lot of planning, education, technical assistance, training on everyone's part to be able to do better in this area. And there's so much that are evolving in this area in terms of communications uh, and technologies that I think have a lot of promise, but also keeping up with it can be challenging. So in this conversation, Chris is going to introduce himself to you and uh, talk about how being deaf and hard of hearing is an important area that needs to be looked at. He's going to talk about his personal and professional experiences in this area, what he sees to be some of the more common issue areas when it comes to meeting access and functional needs, where there's been some improvements and some areas that still need improving. And he gets very specific on how we can uh, ensure effective communication when encountering people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Some of the ideas that he has in terms of how to foster collaborations between the community who is deaf and hard of hearing and those that are seeking to serve them. He talks about a vision for a better day and what that looks like and some social etiquette tips here when communicating with people with disabilities. So he goes over a lot. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Take something away from it and please connect with him. One of the messages that he has throughout this is that he is eager to meet people, to connect with them, provide whatever information, technical assistance, and wisdom that he has to share to help ensure that we are meeting the needs of people with disabilities. So please go into the show notes, link up with him, connect with him, and uh, hope you enjoy this conversation. And here we are, Chris Littlewood. I am so happy to be connecting with you. I really have enjoyed the few times that we've been able to collaborate. You came out and spoke at one of our emergency management expos 
in the citrus area. And it was an amazing presentation that you did. I immediately uh, received from you that you are someone that is steeped in experience in the area of meeting access and functional needs for people with disabilities during disasters. You seem to be a fascinating person. So if you uh, could first start off telling uh, you know, the listener, the audience, a little bit about yourself you know, in the context as well as how disability has impacted you personally and professionally. Okay, Tony. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to speech, speak on this subject. Um, work for St. Petersburg College and the Center for Public Safety Innovation. Our primary target audience is first responders, uh, emergency management, and healthcare workers. We also um, provide training for the general public and other groups related to public safety. That's what uh, I've been doing probably for the last 15, 20 years. Um, also included in that um, is uh, working with uh, people with disabilities because um, I do have a uh, disability myself or a couple actually. I am late deafened or very hard of hearing and uh, I have a um, progressive genetic hearing loss. So I started losing my hearing in my early 20s and now 25 plus years later, I am pretty close to deaf. I have a severe to profound hearing loss. I am following uh, everything Tony's saying on this um, through captioning. Um, I also use sign language, but that's obviously mostly with my friends and colleagues that know sign language, but you are hearing my voice. I guess uh, the best way to explain it is that I'm an instructional designer and an educator by trade and uh, self-advocate for people with disabilities by passion because of the disabilities I have and my experience, my work in public safety uh, and education. Uh, I kind of got into doing this, working with uh, other government contractors probably 10 to 15 years ago, working more in the area of inclusive emergency management. When I say inclusive, that just means including everybody in the population because people with disabilities are part of the general population. It's not separate where it's us and them, everybody that's in the general population. That's uh, basically what I do in a nutshell. I'm an instructor of a course through a state or federally funded grant called the VOCO grant, which is the Office of Victims of Crime. And uh, we teach uh, 21 classes, 20 of which I support, one of which I teach on my own, actually with another co-facilitator for effective communication for people that are deaf or hard of hearing and others with communications access and functional needs. That particular class is actually for people that are hearing or that do not have disabilities themselves but I have little to no experience working with people with disabilities. I kind of um, puts it on the stage, uh, if you will, for people to learn what they can do to best communicate with somebody that is deaf or hard of hearing or that may need uh, assistance in an emergency or disaster. Well, we're going to get into uh, what you exactly know in these areas. And I, I look forward to learning more from you as I, I did the first time that I seen you speak on this topic. Before we do, I'm very interested in knowing why you got involved with public health, safety, emergency management and disasters related to disabilities. It, this area 
seems to really light a spark in you. I, when you talk about it, you, you seem to have a lot of uh, inspiration behind what you're saying, and, and it seems to be near and dear to your heart. So I'm interested to know, how did you land in this area? Well, the why is kind of easy. Um, I, my own disability, including um, both my parents that had disability. Um, my mother passed away many years ago, but uh, she also had a severe to profound hearing loss. Uh, she also, for the last uh, several years of her life, uh, had muscular dystrophy and ALS. So uh, I saw a lot of things related to mobility disabilities. I also have a mobility disability myself, which is mostly uh, controlled through medication uh, and diet. So thankfully right now, uh, um, I'd probably say I'm mostly in remission for that, but that's always on my mind. Um, also, the why comes from my background in law enforcement. Um, I used to be a police dispatcher back when I could hear well. Um, and also, I had several other civilian roles, uh, such as being a uh, crime scene investigator or a police specialist. Um, and my experience in emergency planning, plus my own disabilities, um, have made it kind of a good fit for me for um, being an advocate. What, what have you learned through being an advocate for people with disabilities in this area? What are some of the things along the way that perhaps in, in getting initially started into the area, whether it was in the law enforcement end of this or the public health end of this and advocacy with disabilities, what are some of the, the key things that you've learned along the way of being a disability advocate? Well, uh, like I already mentioned, uh, people with disabilities are part of the general population. Uh, most people at, at one time in their life have some type of uh, disability or access and functional need, uh, maybe related to a medication or uh, some type of temporary disability or maybe something that's much longer. So um, no matter who you are, uh, even if you don't have a disability yourself, you might have uh, someone that has an access and functional need that needs to be considered. There's a lot of things that uh, we're doing that's very good and uh, moving in the right direction. Now in 2021, um, there's still obviously a lot of areas that we need to improve upon, and I'm going to get into both of those. Probably uh, one of the things that is working really well is the consideration that the general population always includes people with disabilities. It's something that has been improving probably since Hurricane Katrina um, or even before that. 9-11 emergencies and disasters have shown that there, not everybody fits into a cookie cutter approach to make sure that people get the assistance that they need in emergencies or disasters. And sometimes it may be a little bit different. Great strides have been made in accessibility, access and appropriate accommodations, um, including interpreters, captioning, things like that, um, appropriate ramps for wheelchairs, um, access to buildings, uh, and also web design to make sure that people with any type of uh, visual disability or other things can uh, see what they need to uh, or get the information that they need. Those are all things where we've uh, made considerable improvements probably in the last 20 years or so. I would say that there are still uh, a few places where we could improve upon. Those would probably be inclusion, representation, and access. People with disabilities need to be considered for a seat at the table, 
in war cases and all cases. Sometimes it seems like a difficult thing on the front end if you don't have experience with doing it, but it's generally not a difficult thing to do to include uh, somebody with a disability in uh, making decisions for planning things like that. People with disabilities want access to the same basic goods and services that anyone else does. So um, people with disabilities are not special. The term special needs that uh, has been used in the last uh, 10 or 15 years or, or before that is probably not a term that fits well. Um, a lot of people uh, really encourage people to get away from that. Um, my personal opinion on that is I don't care what you call it so long as you understand that people just want inclusion, representation, and access. So that's very important. And uh, it's certainly cheaper to help provide independence for somebody through their accommodations than it is to uh, try to um, provide accommodations only at the critical times in our lives. So that's very important. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you mentioned there along the list of access and functional needs that you believe have shown improvement, whether it's wheelchair ramps you know, into the structures, uh, effective communication, alternative formats. What can you specifically talk about in terms of effective communication, whether it's uh, meeting those needs for our deaf and hard of hearing communities in an emergency shelter and or if it's a business that is providing, say, services for people or a clinic that is doing these kind of things where they're providing some services for people that are deaf or hard of hearing. What is it that you believe that they need to have making sure that they're in compliance with effective communication ahead of time in order to make sure that they're uh, serving the people that they're going to be come across who have issues with hearing? Well, in a nutshell, it's kind of hard to give everything that you can possibly do I will get into that, but uh, I do teach a uh, two-day training on this entitled that exactly, Effective Communication um, for People that are Deaf or Hard of Hearing and Others with Access and Functional Needs um, as part of the grant that I mentioned. If you want information on that, I encourage you to uh, contact me or the other um, VOCA project coordinator that I'll mention. But it's things like making sure that sign language interpreters are available the caption is available. Um, I always say in my class um, that a sign language interpreter is not folded neatly in the back of a police car or in the back of a fire truck. Take some time for them to respond. And there are plenty of ways to uh, provide effective communication visually for people uh, that are deaf or hard of hearing without a sign language interpreter. People often are intimidated or shy away from gestures. And the thing to mention is just don't be afraid to use them. Ask questions what people can do. So sometimes it can be as simple as writing something down, using uh, voice to text on a smartphone, using picture boards, things like that understanding that uh, American Sign Language and written English are very different. And somebody that uses American Sign Language as a first language may not understand everything that's written in the English language. That's why when you have an emergency or a disaster, 
you will also see a sign language interpreter on the screen for like uh, in the state of Florida for hurricanes and stuff. Well, why we always want to make sure that an interpreter is also on the screen. The last thing I would probably mention is make sure your agency or organization has some type of policy on working with people that are deaf or hard of hearing. If they don't, ask questions on how you can make one. And I always encourage people to reach out to me at any time and I can help put one in place um, if you don't already have that. Have the decision makers help you put that in place if you don't have one already. And we're going to be linking up your contact information in the show notes here. And I encourage anyone listening to this to please follow up because it is very important to ensure that no matter what organization you are, whether you're uh, in emergency management, you're a first responder, you're a healthcare clinic, assisted living facility, skilled nursing home, community-based organization, private business, need to have policies and procedures on how to ensure that we're communicating effectively with people that are deaf and hard of hearing. And there's some very specific you know, policies that uh, could be illuminated to people who may not know them. And then as well as the accommodations you just mentioned. So having already on hand, maybe a pictorial that you uh, train staff on to know how to use, maybe already training staff on how to use their smartphone or other devices to do voice to text, uh, to, to have other ideas in their back pocket. If the person is able to read, uh, perhaps writing back and forth could be something that's used as well. So I, I do believe that there's a lot of front end planning that is often needed to ensure that we have effective communication for people that are deaf or hard of hearing, whether they run a shelter or whether they run a for-profit business or anything else in between. So I really appreciate that information that you shared. And uh, given that you do a two-day course in this, I highly encourage people to reach out to you to to really drill in and, and learn more because there's still a lot I need to be learning. Everyone needs to be learning. There's there, there's a lot to this. So you know, one of the things I, I think is also important is including the people uh, that are, you know, somebody that we're trying to reach in the conversation. So for instance, you, Chris, you know, is someone who represents the community of hard of hearing. And so you, you're already engaged, you're already uh, at the table in many ways, uh, communicating uh, what you think the needs are and, and, and some of the things that should go forward. What are things that people who aren't you yet uh, could be doing to get to the table to help other organizations or other people that are having these conversations and wanting to do better and making sure that people have their access and functional needs met, whether it's during a disaster or just during your medical emergencies that could happen on a typical basis. How can we get the population and community of people who are deaf or hard of hearing more involved at the tables uh, to make sure that they're being heard? Well, the biggest thing is um, people that are deaf or hard of hearing or people with disabilities need to uh, seek out public safety uh, officials, agencies, themselves and um, knock on doors, if you will. And at the same time, people that work in public safety, uh, at police office, uh, police departments, fire departments, emergency management, they need to reach out to centers for independent living, for service providers, for people with disabilities, 
um, and um, other businesses that work with people with disabilities on a daily basis. Because one thing that's important to remember is people with disabilities are their own emergency managers, emergency managers every day. People with disabilities are their own emergency managers every day. Whether it is access to a, a building or a service um, or through communication, people with disabilities deal with small emergencies to maintain their independence. And with that, people with disabilities are the best experts on how you can assist them. So um, it, it's important for public safety uh, officials, healthcare workers, other groups to find people, connect with them. Uh, sometimes there may be communication barriers or it, it may not be something that's relatively easy to find right away, but connections can be made if you go through the leaders in your community. Obviously, one of the best places to start is through Centers for Independent Living or Deaf and Hard of Hearing Service Centers or service centers that uh, serve people with disabilities, businesses, things like that. I'm glad you mentioned that because often I think one of the biggest barriers to getting people to the table, such as people that are deaf or hard of hearing on issues related to effective communication in disasters or your everyday medical, um, is just knowing where the table is and community-based organizations like centers or those other hearing services can be a way to link the, the two communities together, the emergency management professionals and the, the, the deaf community. And, and, I, and I think this is very important because for me, I'm not sitting at all tables, but the tables I've been around in terms of the planning with disasters and disabilities, the topic of effective communication and people who are deaf or hard of hearing is one, is the, one of the most common issue areas that I hear discussed. And, and you, and, and there's been a few others that I've seen participating in this conversation. And uh, at least from the, you know, the vantage point I'm seeing, it would be wonderful to have more people participating in this conversation. And I know there could be barriers, uh, you know, from the, just not knowing where the table is, but also between, you know, the community of people that are deaf and hard of hearing and the hearing community. You know, I know there's some, you know, cultural differences and, and things that I think we all need to learn more about in order to make that happen as well. So I'm not sure, Chris, if you have any, you know, advice in that arena too, just in terms of, you know, being able to know the culture of what it means to be deaf as well. Because I know there's some really, you know, important things for us to learn about the deaf community itself and their culture. Is there anything in there that we could also be working on in addition to linking people to where the table is that also needs to be addressed in these conversations? I, I do have some suggestions. Uh, first of all, social media People that are deaf or hard of hearing um, use social media all the time, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or other platforms, reaching out to um, different groups, um, you know, just finding a group that's in your area. It's unfortunate, but um, consideration for people in all areas of the state and nation really are very uneven, especially in uh, rural areas. Uh, there's not the same access to accommodations and things like that. Uh, social uh, media, in some cases, can help bridge that gap uh, where uh, you can let people know that you're trying to make that connection. Uh, again, it's with uh, people that have a higher level of English um, proficiency that you're doing that, but you also may touch base with uh, some agencies and organizations uh, that can help 
make the connections that you need to make. Finding somebody to bring with you uh, that uses a sign language, connecting with the leaders in the community. If somebody that walks up in a police uniform or a fire uniform into a community that has a lot of people that are deaf or hard of hearing, they may shy away from communicating that with that person because of a trust factor. We talk about that in, in our class a lot. But uh, if you see a police officer walking up with a known deaf or hard of hearing advocate and a sign language interpreter, you're going to have people flocking to you. So that, that really is very beneficial, finding the leaders in the deaf and hard of hearing community and who they are. Sometimes you can look into places like the Hearing Loss Association. I am the president in the state of Florida for the Association for Late Deaf and Adults. There is also the Florida Association for the Deaf and making connections to all those groups, very, very important. So those are ways that you can make connections um, and help find the people that you're trying to serve. Well, thank you for bringing that together because I think it would be wonderful as connectors that we can bring these groups together, uh, the, the community that we're serving and the agencies that can connect uh, the, to the, uh, the other agencies that do emergency management and, and more discussions and to earn trust, I think is a huge thing. And I think you, through mileage and getting to know one another and the co-learning that can happen can certainly go a long way. So what have you learned in your experiences in addition to effective communication in terms of meeting access and functional needs uh, that has, um, you know, really something that has been maybe either overlooked or understated that we need to be also focusing on? There, there, there just seems to be so much that's out there. Do you have anything in particular that um, is going above and beyond the standard fare for what you are teaching in your curriculums that could be an emerging issue area in terms of access and functional needs that you know, we need to be uh, looking out for? Well, helping people get access and um, making sure that there is um, planning and agency policy, either that they have one or that there's one in the works. Um, a lot of times um, people aren't going to uh, do something like that unless they're told to do something. Um, a lot of times where you see lawsuits where people are not having their needs met under federal laws like the American with Disabilities Act is when there's no planning involved at all. Um, and that can happen in a lot of cases. Um, but when you have even a plan in progress or an attempt being made to meet the needs of an individual or of a community. That's a great start. And that's where it can uh, pr protect a professional, an agency or an organization. But one of the things that I've learned big time is uh, if the first time you experience working with a person with disability uh, or working with a person that's deaf or hard of hearing is on the scene of an emergency or a disaster, uh, triage, and assistance is going to slow way down. And that's a big concern. Uh, you should seek out partners before an emergency or disaster happens, and that will help uh, with the planning to make sure that you're um, meeting the needs of the individual when an emergency happens. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to get it wrong, just so long as you work to get it right. 
people that are deaf or hard of hearing, especially um, because we're such visual people, we don't want to see people throwing up their hands or rolling their eyes at us uh, when communication becomes difficult. But when we see people eager to help and find ways that work using gestures, writing things down, using voice to text apps, uh, communication boards, all the things that we've talked about, when those things happen, you're going to bridge the gap between the two communities that you need to bridge the gap between. So in your experience then, in terms of you know, really trying to bridge these gaps and endure trust and, and garner these kind of things, do you have a, a success story at all to share on a situation where perhaps you know, th this connection was made and any kind of like either prevention or mitigation during the disaster uh, actually kind of happened between between uh, the agencies and you know people that were serving or within the community? Well, it, it happens all the time. Uh, it happens very unevenly, but it does happen. It, it's usually on um, the examples that I've already spoken about uh, where you uh, have somebody that makes a connection with a leader in the community. And the next thing you know, um, people are, are coming forward and asking questions. And what about this? What about that? And um, there's learning in the process for both sides, for people with disabilities, people that are deaf or hard of hearing, and also people that work in emergency management. Um, they learn a lot about each other and what, what they can do. When you see a sign language interpreter on the screen in a hurricane, uh, this bearing down on a community, that didn't used to happen. Um, even less than 20 years ago, less than five years ago in some communities that didn't happen. And now it's happening uh, all over the place. Uh, additionally, you have the use of uh, CDIs, certified deaf interpreters. They work in a team um, in uh, conjunction with a, a hearing interpreter. And um, certified deaf interpreters are deaf themselves, and they're experts in communication modalities when you have people that uh, use different forms of visual communication and making sure that uh, you meet the diverse needs of the deaf and hard of hearing community. So a lot of times when you see um, an interpreter on the screen, that interpreter may be deaf themselves, um, and they're working with a uh, hearing interpreter off screen um, and providing information to both hard of hearing and deaf individuals, some who are very fluent in American Sign Language, some who use uh, sign language in a very different capacity. That's very important and it was unheard of several years ago in the last 10, 15 years ago, we've got cases popping up where, where those things are being considered. Um, also, um, making sure interpreters and information is provided at shelters, things like that, so that people that are deaf or hard of hearing um, and now there's communication is included for everybody. So when we talk about meeting access and functional needs, especially to the deaf and hard of hearing community, what is it that you found that it could be one of the things that you have taken away? as an area that we're got more even promise into meeting these needs. Uh, what I'm saying is it seems like technologies have really evolved quite a bit and apps and phones and all these other kind of things. 
Do you see anything else on the horizon as well that we could be looking towards to improve effective communication with people with disabilities, especially as technology seem to be emerging and evolving so quickly? Well, a lot of people don't realize, but in 2010, there was a federal law passed uh, called the Communication and Video Accessibility Act. Um, and that's what provides caption for TVs that are smaller than 13 inches um, on mobile devices, on the internet for emergency broadcasts, uh, next generation 911. That's what also includes text to 911. That's been very, very important uh, for all people that may have a communication uh, disability, but are able to communicate through texting. So um, that is really something that's very beneficial to everybody. Under the CVAA law, it was included that um, people that have disabilities also are included uh, in uh, the use of next generation 911. Uh, you have texting to 911 available in many areas. But what's unfortunate is here we are 2021, the law was passed in 2010. So 11 years later, we don't have full access in this country or in this state. There are 67 states in the count, or I'm sorry, 67 counties in the state of Florida and um, I think we just surpassed two thirds of the state that have availability for texting to 911. Um, I live in Pinellas County uh, in the Tampa Bay area um, and we've had texting to 911 for a couple of years. Hillsborough County just got uh, texting to 911 access within the last couple of months. So uh, it's a little bit uneven but right now, other than texting to 911 and the use of a TTY, people do not have direct access to 911 if they are deaf or hard of hearing. TTYs are antiquated technology. Nobody uses them anymore. In most cases, people that are deaf or hard of hearing don't even have a TTY anymore. TTY refer to a landline? Yes, a TTY is a, a telephone for the deaf, TDD, TTY um, are acronyms for the same thing. They used to work well with a landline, but it was with an analog landline. Now that we've got so many broadband lines um, and uh, digital phone lines, TTYs don't work with that. It's real-time texting uh, has replaced TTYs but direct access to 911 does not work for someone that uh, uses a video phone. If they're using a video phone and communicating through sign language, they're going through their relay center, not the relay center uh, for a, a TTY, but they're going through the uh, video interpreter uh, call center and a person there relays the call to 911. So there's a significant delay. And the first step in improving that is making sure that texting to 911 works. And texting to 911 provides direct access for people that are deaf or hard of hearing. So that's a, a real big step in the right direction.
I, I agree, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're yeah, fielding this question in the way that you're doing. I think it's very important for our listeners who are emergency management responders, healthcare clinics, or community-based organizations to really take into consideration how are people who are deaf or hard of hearing communicating with your organization? If it is over the phone, understanding that there could be a, a, an interpreter on the line as well and how to communicate with somebody that's utilizing an interpreter, again, like in person, talking to the person uh, who is deaf or hard of hearing directly and not addressing the interpreter, I think is an important thing. And making sure that the emergency management professionals are thinking about how are we messaging out when we have you know, public information announcements or there is a disaster alert. Are we doing everything we can to make sure that our messaging system is set up in a way that is reaching people who are deaf or hard of hearing in terms of the communication? Because that is an access and functional need that we need to make sure that's being addressed. And for anyone that might be deaf or hard of hearing themselves, what are the registries or the links or the alert systems that they need to have as an app on their phone that they need to also be registered onto to receive these messages from emergency management? So I kind of see a user creator two-way connection that needs to happen uh, between people that are deaf and hard of hearing to make sure that they are linked in uh, and that there is something to link into on behalf of the people that are trying to message out. So I'm really glad that you're illuminating that and there's many different ways that we need to be paying attention to how this evolves because the communication is evolving so rapidly. Yeah, um, one thing that I will say that you made me think of that uh, is really something that we could probably continue to improve upon is when somebody that's deaf or hard of hearing uh, calls an agency or an organization, don't hang up on the person because you've got a few seconds of silence. Sometimes you're waiting for uh, an interpreter to provide communication to a person that's deaf or hard of hearing, and there's going to be some delays. If somebody uses a caption telephone things like that, it's always important uh, to know that there's going to be delays in the conversation. Uh, anytime you have any type of relay uh, where you're communicating information through your voice and it's changed to text or by a video interpreter through a relay service for video relay service for sign language, um, there's going to be a few seconds delay. So it's important for people to learn about that, to know about that, not hang up on somebody um, if they're not getting an immediate quick response. Um, because I use my own voice and what's called voice carryover, I usually let the person know right away that I am using accommodations. And sometimes I do have to stop and read the caption to catch up to the conversation and I'll let the person know if there's delays in my communication for a couple of seconds, that's why. And please bear with me and be patient in those few seconds of silence. What you're saying is golden. And, and I want to um, ask you, what other types of communication tips do you have for people that are communicating with somebody that's deaf or hard of hearing? What you're saying here is excellent. Having patience and allowing the communication process to transpire. What else do you have, whether it's in person or through other means uh, over a phone, uh, et cetera, that people really need to have in mind? Well, uh, let's, let's take face-to-face -face first. Let's imagine that you have a person that's an emergency manager or a first responder or a victim advocate, healthcare worker, any of those groups, 
and they're talking to somebody that's deaf, that uses American Sign Language only, they don't voice like I do. Um, and you've got two people that are trying to communicate and an immediate communication barrier because one person uses audio means and one person uses video means or, or visual means. So with that, you have to find a way to um, bridge the gap for those two communication methods. Uh, the suggestions I can make is number one, turn off your voice because it does no good to try to um, voice to a person that's deaf. People don't realize that um, I get asked this all the time, but when I say I'm very hard of hearing or if I say I'm deaf or I say I'm late deaf and, and people will say, well, you read lips, don't you? Well, the best lip reader in the world only uh, lip reads or speech reads 30 to 40% of a conversation. So that's a, a huge difference in, in what the communication that's being given and the communication that's received. Don't rely on your voice. Don't rely on uh, talking because especially even if somebody is a very good speech reader, you don't want to count on them to uh, accommodate you in every case. Because if somebody is accommodating you, they're still likely to only be getting a small portion of that conversation. Um, I use very high powered uh, digital hearing aids, what residual hearing I have left. My ability to use speech reading and combine all those things to have a very fluid conversation with somebody that's hearing. That's not always the case in a situation where you have somebody that uses American Sign Language as their first language. They may not speech read. They may not communicate uh, with their voice at all. Communicating uh, in ways where you turn off your voice, and that sounds hard, but if you use gestures, facial expressions are huge. Just looking at a person, smiling, uh, remaining calm, those are all very, very important things. If you get extremely excited, that's going to be a turnoff to somebody that's deaf or hard of hearing. And you want to make sure that you're not um, increasing the level of anxiety that a person may have in a situation. Uh, you can use gestures. Each person that's hearing already knows three to 500 gestures on their own. I mean, think about it. When you have a thumbs up, letting somebody know that, that, that you're okay, that the situation is okay, thumbs down, that might be that a situation is bad. Just the way you may make facial expressions, that may tell somebody something. You want to make sure that your facial expressions match your message as well. For example, you don't ever want to nod your head yes but say no, or you want to shake your head no, but say yes. That sends a very confusing message to somebody that's deaf or hard of hearing. So you want to make sure that you have facial expressions that match your message, and you also want to use visual communication. Turn off your voice. I mean, we've all played those games where you use gestures like charades. That's all you're doing. It works very well and you connect with the person, sometimes you fumble through it, but that's okay. And once the light bulb turns on and you do make a connection with somebody, they're really going to appreciate that. And they're gonna seek you out 
and work with you more so long as you uh, provide a, a situation where you're willing to work with them. So I love what you say about, you know, making sure that we're cognizant of the fact that there seems to be a common myth that people think if people can speech read, then, you know, they can communicate primarily through that. And to, to hear that the best out there only can really catch up with thir- a third of basically what we're saying is very striking. And I really enjoy how you're saying body language is very important, whether it's our facial expressions or our gestures in our hands, really be very cognizant of that and be authentic. Make sure that it does match what you're saying, Those the body language that is. I think that's true for anyone. I think that's a really good tell to see if people are being authentic. And from what I've also learned, I wonder if you can comment on this. So when, when I jump from uh, interpersonal face-to-face communications, I find myself emailing people who are deaf or hard of hearing. And what I'm told is, is less is more. So less words, don't be so wordy. <laughs> and as you can hear from me and, and the amount of words that I say when I talk, I sometimes can type this many to the chagrin of other people receiving it. So is that also uh, something that you would recommend to other people who are maybe communicating digitally that less is more? Right. Yeah, um, definitely less is more uh, using simple language we give a lot of examples of this in our class. And I say our class because it's um, taught by myself and another co-facilitator. The other facilitator is my friend and colleague, Carol Lazorsak. Uh, she is profoundly deaf since birth. Uh, she uh, is a certified deaf interpreter herself. And um, she um, also is very, familiar with American Sign Language and the understanding or the lack of understanding that people may have with the written language. So when you type a lot of information and use a lot of, I call them $3 words or big words that people may or may not understand, you want to keep in mind that there may not be a clear understanding for something like that in sign language as well. So you want to, uh, Keep things simple. Use simple words. Use a fourth grade reading level, if you will. People have a very, very different understanding of written English. Um, a lot of people that are profoundly deaf um, have it on the average of a fifth grade reading level. That doesn't mean you you have a bunch of people that are only have a fifth grade education, but they just may uh, read at a fifth grade level because they're following American Sign Language first. And the language is very, very different. No exact translation from English to American Sign Language. Um, Also, when you're communicating in American Sign Language, uh, it's just not hands in the air. It's uh, a person's whole body. Facial expressions, that's all part of the language. Very, very important. So as I'm going to round the corner and ask you kind of a final question here, um, imagine that you've accomplished everything professionally that you're doing, bringing awareness to the access and functional needs of people with disabilities, particularly those that are deaf or hard of hearing, to first responders, emergency management, and others. Um, Also working with the community themselves to ensure that access and functional needs are met. Imagine you continue your career and doing the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, what would you hope then by doing the work that you're doing 
the future looks like in this area for public safety, health and safety, people who are deaf and hard of hearing, access and functional needs, effective communication. Where would you want to see the landscape, the future, your vision for a better day? What would that look like if you're able to continue the work that you're doing, accomplish your goals? Well, first of all, we honestly need a legislative champion for people with disabilities, uh, somebody that's involved at, at least at the state level for writing laws or updating laws in the state of Florida uh, related to access, inclusion, representation, and access. Advocates can do a limited amount of lobbying uh, to legislators and uh, need legislators that are ready to act. There is like uh, several laws uh, in the state of Florida that are very outdated. The Telecommunications Advisory Committee responds to needs for people that use the relay service and communications access through TTYs and uh, landline devices. Uh, and the Florida Telecommunications Relay Incorporated, which is a nonprofit organization that helps distribute telephone equipment to people that are deaf or hard of hearing. But it's only able to do that for people that have landlines. And like I've already said, TTYs and landlines are, um, are outdated. We're talking about a law that was formed in 1990 um, or the early 90s. So those things need to be updated and the legislators need to be made aware of that um, and communicate more as far as um, what the needs are for updated technology. The other thing I would like to see happen in the future is a greater effort for people in the disability community to seek out public safety on their own, work with the leaders in the community you know, I, I myself, I've talked to the people that work in uh, County 911. I've talked to the people that work in my local fire department and police department because of the work that I do. And also so that people are aware that I am here and I have different communication needs. I am somewhat dependent at home on, on my hearing family. My wife and my two children are both uh, hearing they're all hearing, so I'm able to let them lead the way as far as um, auditory communication. But I have a dear friend that uh, she was in the same situation, and uh, she lost her hearing husband. And she realized very quickly how many things uh, she was being left out on because she was always counting on her husband to provide the communication. I would encourage people to connect with agencies or organizations more often, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. It goes towards what we were saying earlier on about really getting people with, uh, who are deaf or hard of hearing engaged with organizations, whether again, it's emergency management, first responders, other community-based organizations, about working with them to ensure effective communication is had when said organizations are interfacing with the community. And, and I think that's a wonderful vision of the future. And I'm really glad that you brought up the communications laws that are on the books and needing a champion to bring those antiquated laws more uh, in alignment with, the, with modern technology and what it is evolving into uh, needs a lot of attention. 
uh, because there's just that seems to me almost like a simple, straightforward fix. If lawmakers, policymakers, decision makers were you're just aware of how antiquated that they are and that it likely is leaving a lot of people out of communi- the communication cycle, I would like to think they would act on it. So I, I hope that there is some change in that area. So, Chris, I, I want to um, acknowledge you for being somebody that really does uh, walk the talk. You're somebody that has a disability. You're steeped into the area of public health, safety, emergency management, and fighting for the rights of victims of crime who have disabilities that we didn't even touch in that area. would love to bring you back sometime to talk more about this important area that you do, and it's just something that needs a lot of attention as well. And being somebody that not only just walks the talk, but you know, has a lot of wisdom to share, has their heart in it for the right reasons. You are somebody that seems to really be almost everywhere in terms of collaboration and connecting people with one another. Having the technical assistance that you've shared with so many people to make things happen on a systemic level. You're a real influencer in this area and somebody that I really respect and admire and look forward to continuing to learn more from and also being somebody that you can count on to really help spread the message and and vision that you have for a better future there. It is quite remarkable and inspirational and wanted to acknowledge you for the work that you do. Well, thank you very much. And again, thanks for having me. The one thing I was just thinking about that we hadn't talked about very much is uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic and how that's changed the lives of people that are deaf or hard of hearing. Because if you are counting on somebody for speech reading is that one example, put a mask over their face and that immediately diminishes the amount of communication that somebody can get. The only other thing I can say is uh, my contact information will be shared with everybody. So if you're interested in uh, taking one of the communication classes that uh, we talked about, we will be in Pasco County in August. Most likely in September, we're going to establish a venue um, in Northeast Florida. So that gives people some opportunities. These will actually be the first iterations this year that we're able to do live um, as more people get the vaccine. Um, And uh, we are no longer teaching as many classes on Zoom. But uh, if you're interested in other classes that we're teaching, we have a list of, like I said, of 20 other classes. Um, you can contact me or the other project coordinator that will be sure to give you their information. Well, thank you again, Chris. We'll be linking up that uh, in our show notes so that people can get a hold of you. As you're saying all that, I'm wondering if you ever sleep. Yeah, honestly, you're just always a pedal to the metal and you got so much energy uh, and enthusiasm in this area. You're very inspirational, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much for sharing your availability to others to learn from and to do better and to serve. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So next time, onward and upward. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida in collaboration with the North Central Florida Healthcare Coalition. We are committed to ensuring that all professionals and volunteers and anyone who is interested in learning and doing more to meet the access and functional needs of people with disabilities, 
We are committed to ensuring that people with disabilities are ready before, during, and after disasters to ensure that they can continue to live independently. If you want to learn more about the Center for Independent Living, the Independent Living Network, the North Central Florida Healthcare Coalitions, or the regional health coalitions throughout the state of Florida, please look into the information that is linked into the show notes throughout all these episodes and the web platforms that are provided. Thank you.